Hello and welcome to Cooler Than Homework, a Disney Channel original movie podcast. I'm Nicole Sweeney and my alternate use for nail polish is I, I'm supposed to come up with a nonsense one, but I and my brain is so distracted by my like actual genuine one. Um, and uh, it, clear nail polish to fix a run in your tights. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm Matthew Gatos, and my alternate use for nail polish as a non-regular uh, nail polish user uh, <laughs> it was back in high school. I would use it as a way to flirt with girls who at parties would be like, hey, let me put nail polish on you. And I'd say, yes, why not? That gives us five to 10 minutes to sit here and talk. <laughs> So that was my my really my only use of nail polish ever was to flirt with girls. My name is Marines and my alternate use for nail polish is as like a, an anxiety thing. Like I, I paint my nails and then I can peel them off and I have something to do with my hands. That's perfect. Uh, <laughs> if you hadn't said that. I wouldn't have remembered it, but uh, I, that is absolutely what I've done every time I've painted my nails. And I'm Sari Riley, and my alternate use for nail polish is protecting my nails against all the weird like bumps and nicks on them that I would get when I was younger. I don't know what I would do, but I would always have broken nails or like the the chips on them. Why? Who knows? <laughs> and this week. We are talking about motocrossed, which sadly, there are no dogs riding motocross <laughs> in this movie. A, a real lack no. of, of motocross dogs. Uh, but Mari, what, what is it actually about? I, I realized that I prepared like my plot summary and did not mention the nail polish at all. So I've got to like ad lib ad lib it in so that all makes sense at some point but really this story is a story of a family threatened by the very existence of their misogynist dad um in more detail (laughs) this movie is about the carson family and they are big into motocross so we have the misogynist dad and who is the racing coach edward the selectively Mm -hmm. passive mom geneva the motocross racer twin brother andrew his twin sister who also enjoys racing amongst other things, Andrea, and the little brother who's the mechanic, Jason. At the beginning of the movie, Dad is pushing Andrew to train extra hard because they have a race coming up that could win them a corporate sponsorship. We can tell how intense Dad is being because Andrea gets home from a cheerleading competition where she just won first place out of a 100 schools, and her dad's like, ew, that's distracting, go away. When their parents are out of the house, Andrew and Andrea decide to race each other for funsies, but unfortunately, Andrew crashes and hurts his leg, meaning that he can't participate in the upcoming race. Andrea offers to race in his place, but her dad is like, but you are a girl and won't let her. Instead, he travels to Europe to go see if he can find a racer in the entire continent of Europe. Literally left the continent to to avoid dealing with uh, having a daughter. Andrea feels guilty about her brother's injury and really wants to race. And to make matters worse, the big race is pushed up by two weeks because of weather, maybe, I think. And they can't reach dad to let him know because they don't know where exactly in Europe he is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Andrea, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> laughing at my own jokes. Uh, <laughs> 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 
Andrea makes up her mind to race behind her parents' back. At a practice run, the other boys aren't too welcoming and run her off the track, causing her to scrape her arm. At home, mom gets suspicious on account of the injury, and Andrea realizes that it will be easier on her if she rides as her brother instead of in his place, so she cuts off her hair and starts posing as a boy. Her mother gets the truth of what's happening out of the little brother, Jason, and at first tells Andy she can't race, but then she is shamed by feminism one-on-one lesson from her youngest son. Mom gives in on the condition that they will definitely do all of this as a secret from dad, never telling him that the race was moved up when he finally calls home from Europe. Mom and Andy head off to their big race. Unfortunately, Andy doesn't do too well. She gets lapped in her first round and she finishes last in her second. The other riders, including their competition at Henderson Racing, start noticing that Andy has her mother with her and also that the trophy girls are spending a lot of time near their area, especially because mom has been handing out like free manicures. (laughs) The... 250 rider for Henderson Racing, Dean, offers to train Andy in exchange for tips on girls and hooking him up with his crush, Fallon. Andy does so reluctantly because she needs the help, but also she's not, I mean, she it's reluctant because she's not really here for setting up the cute boy with another girl. Thankfully, the training really helps though, and Andy finishes the event third overall. Mom and Andy are stoked until they realize that dad is home and he's here and he's mad that they won because he told them girls don't win dad has found a replacement rider for them uh, renee and he's skeezy and high maintenance and he keeps messing up their bikes and dad just lets this man stay in his teen daughter's room which was really weird uh andy finds an article about renee and and that says that he was kicked out of multiple european leagues for being an aggressive rider and exhibiting dangerous behavior on the track but dad is like yes but at least he's not a girl or whatever. <laughs> the Carsons head to their next race with Renee as their rider, and it causes some confusion as Andrew has to pretend to be Andrea pretending to be him. Dean meets Andrea as herself and is immediately super into her. Things with Renee get more complicated when Andrea sees him meeting with the the guy from Henderson Racing. Andrea confronts Renee and tries to tell her father what's going on, but her father sides with the strange man and tells Andrea to go apologize. When she tries to, Renee pushes her, which is finally, finally, finally one step too far for dad of the year over here. So he fires Renee and reveals to Andrea that he does actually love her. He just never wanted her to get hurt. A qualm he didn't have for his boys, obviously. Dad tells Andy she can race in the final heat. Renee has now joined Henderson Racing and races against Andy. He immediately pulls a dirty trick to push her off the track, but she manages to catch back up with him. And when Renee tries to do it again, she slams on the brakes, so he goes flying, leaving Andy to finish in first place. Angry that he got tricked, Renee reveals to everyone that Andy is a girl who has been pretending to be her brother. There is a moment of confusion, but Mom assures everybody that there is nothing in the real book against uh, girl writing and that she is a registered writer she registered as Andy Carson and she is Andy Carson. So the reporter on the scene asked the sponsor if they're still going to honor the sponsorship even if she is a girl and the big boss comes out and she's also a woman so she's like hell yeah and the whole family gets a sponsorship too uh, and there's a celebration. The final scene of the movie is of Andy and Andy working in the garage when their mom comes in to announce that they got their sponsorship money and they get to hire a 250 writer. In fact somebody is 
already here, interested in the position. She sends Andy out to go meet the guy. And of course, it's Dean, who was kind of mad about the fact that he got lied to. But, you know, he's come around to the cute girl. So a a cute girl he was probably falling for as a boy anyway, I'm Mm -hmm. just saying. Mm -hmm. So Andy Flirt tells him that he can have the job if he beats her at a race. And we end the movie with a shot of them racing. The end. Yeah, I'm glad that you included the important detail that in basically every like Twelfth Night retelling, the thing that you need to embrace is that your your male lead is in fact bi. I'm sorry, but like, (laughs) (laughs) this is how it is. Before we get into talking about all of that, though, Matt, where is the cast of this movie now? Well, let's start off with some of the people who uh, are a bit harder to track down. Uh, We have the two brothers, uh, Andrew Carson, the older of the two brothers, played by Trevor O'Brien, went on to be in Dodgeball, uh, an episode of Mad Men, and that Justin Timberlake movie, In Time, where I haven't seen it. But I think the premise is that, like, you can buy more time to extend your life. But... Other than that, uh, he hasn't been acting much, and he's also not really on the internet. He has a very not active Twitter and Instagram account, so I got no idea what that brother is up to these days. The younger of the two brothers is played by Scott Tara, and he uh, is in the movie Eight-Legged Freaks, the giant spider movie that came out in the early 2000s, and he was also in the bad Daredevil uh, Ben Affleck movie back in 2003. He also continued acting a bit, but again... No online presence and no articles of like, what's Scott Tara doing these days? So the only thing I could find that was somewhat relevant was a, is Scott Tara dead thing? And it seems like no. So (laughs) yeah, I think other people were similarly looking for him and what he's up to and couldn't find anything. So their assumption was that he must have died. But it seems like probably not, but I'm not going to say for sure. Maybe Scott Tara and... uh the other guy, Trevor O'Brien. Maybe they're just hanging out together. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. they're having a good time off the grid somewhere. Yeah, they're just living uh, a nice offline life, which, wow, what would that be like? Yeah, I can't relate, <laughs> but I love that for them. <laughs> it always seems appealing at a certain level, and then you're like, wait, but literally everything I've tied myself to with work and fun time hobbies is uh, tied to the internet, so... Nope, sorry, can't join you, brothers. Also, like the last year of my life, like if I weren't extremely online, like how would I have survived living alone for the last year without like internet friends? Like I don't understand. Like what would I have done? How? How? No. I I I feel like it's safe to assume they probably have like maybe some private Facebooks where they can at least have their normal friends and family. But as far as like publicly facing trying to be public figures, neither of them are really doing that. Mm Next up, we have Michael Cuneo, who plays Rene Cartier, the the best French name ever. Uh-huh. Uh, he's the, the French replacement uh, motocross driver. He, turns out, uh, is not actually French, it seems, uh, but Shocking. is an amazing singer who teams up with Postmodern Jukebox and other online wow. music people to do lots of like queen covers he self-describes himself as the mix between freddie mercury and janice joplin and if you listen to him yep that seems pretty accurate he's a, a very very good singer uh who does uh right now during covid times he's hosting like virtual burlesque shows that he's singing and hosting and then he also does like a lot of like touring music things and some broadway and off-broadway type shows 
delightful. Yeah, much. He seems like a much more delightful person than he is in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next, we have somebody who is more famous than the role they were playing, and I don't really know why they were in this movie. But we have Mark Curry playing Bob Arness, who's like a reporter, maybe, who keeps trying to get Andrea to talk to him for a story about like under the helmet, the real <laughs> Andy Carson, and. That kind of went nowhere in this movie. Like, that plot line didn't really do anything. But it's weird to have Mark Curry, who is maybe one of the more well-known people in this cast at the time. Mm -hmm. He was known for the show Hanging with Mr. Cooper, probably most famously. Mm -hmm. And he continued acting on and off in different things. But mostly he's just doing a stand-up thing now. He seems to be doing virtual online shows right now, but is also doing, like, full-time stand-up comedy. Kind of stopped acting. I knew him from hanging with Mr. Cooper. I was like, hey. (laughs) Yeah, he was one of like the two people I actually recognized uh, in this movie, uh, aside from the people who were just like, I know from this movie. But he, I really expected his part to go somewhere because of knowing him from hanging with Mr. Cooper. But maybe he's not as famous as I thought he was because of how much I actually watched hanging with Mr. Cooper. (laughs) He was just some guy to me, unsurprisingly, uh, like everyone else in this movie. I didn't assume you were a big Hang With Mr. Cooper fan, Sari, but uh, you never know. I, In fact, I've never heard of it. Like so, Some of the shows that you've mentioned, I've heard of them before, and I'm like, okay, yes, that was like a replay shown. I maybe watched the title sequence. I have no idea what Hanging With Mr. Cooper is. You could have made it up. <laughs> yeah, this is, we all we, we all texted each other beforehand. Um, we're going to talk about how this one guy is very famous and he's on a show that we remember watching as kids. <laughs> Next up we have Bad Dad, uh, Edward Carson, played by Timothy Carhart. He's really good at playing shitty dudes, uh, it turns out. He is he plays the worst dude in Thelma and Louise, which I guess I won't spoil the plot of that like 40 year old movie for you. But (laughs) he's the worst dude in that movie. So maybe there's a bit of typecasting of him as a bad person since motocrossed. He has continued to act in things like 24. um, And he's currently in the show Yellowstone, where he plays the attorney general of Montana. And I don't know anything about that show other than sometimes it films here in Missoula. Mm -hmm. But. He might play a bad guy on that, too. It seems like politicians on dramatic TV shows often are playing bad people. So if you're playing an attorney general in like 2020, 2021, feels like you're a bad guy. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> seems like yeah. you're a bad guy. <laughs> Next, we have Mary Margaret Humes, who plays Geneva Carson, who's the mom. I don't remember her first name being mentioned ever, but I... After she gets the Feminism 101 lesson from her youngest son, she and she's like alone in her kitchen, she's like, don't even think about it, Geneva. Um, oh, so okay. I, I remember because I was like, what a weird first name. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, that was my reaction to reading it of like, did they give her like a fancy first name just because they don't ever reference it? And they were like, well, I guess she needs a first name. Let's just call her Geneva. <laughs> I recognized her immediately as the mom from Dawson's Creek. She plays mm-hmm. Dawson's mom on that uh and it turns out one of the things she sort of references in this movie she says that she used to be one of the trophy girls when she's giving everyone manicures that was kind of true she was in a bunch of beauty pageants as a teen um and was like i don't know if she was like miss usa but she was at least like miss state she lived in and then throughout the 80s she was in everything from knight rider to dukes of hazard uh as playing sort of like 
the hot guest star lady on a lot of those shows. Miss Florida. Miss Florida. Great. Love her. <laughs> Immediately. What if I just like follow that up with a terrible thing now? No, like, don't. oh, she's an awful person. No, <laughs> then I would ask my best friend Nicole to edit that part out. <laughs> well, thankfully, that is not the case. Uh, as far as I could find, she is not terrible. Uh, since motocross, she's continued acting in things like Grey's Anatomy. And she just seems like a fun mom now on Instagram, like the best version of like, if your mom's on Instagram, what you would hope for, because she's out there posting the the Bernie memes from the inauguration. uh, And she's uh, acting in a handful of seasonal Hallmark movies like Winter Love Story, A Valentine's Match, Christmas in Love and Home by Spring. (laughs) She's out there still living her life, still acting. Seems like she's having a good time. I also just discovered because I was I'm like googling these people while you are talking because I don't know it's fun. Um, but she's a, <laughs> my birthday twin. We have the same oh, birthday, oh. so that's fun. For See, me. I knew I loved her. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have Alana Austin, who plays the uh, the main character Andy Andrea Carson, which again. Don't name your kids Andrew and Andrea. Like I understand that it works conveniently for this plot, but. Don't do that in real life. I, I feel like people absolutely would do that in real life with their twins. That that feels that feels the material weird. thing is not even nan- naming them Andrew and Andrea. It's deciding to nickname them both Andy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that seems confusing. Is what I'm saying. Well, obviously the dad's only going to be talking to one of the Andys anyway. Right. So That's true. <laughs> yeah, really simplified things there. Yeah. His daughter to him is just, hey, you, get out of the way. (laughs) Not now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She seems to be living a normal, happy, post-decom acting life. Um, There's not a lot about her out there in the world as far as, like, what she's doing these days. Uh, She is quoted online as saying she is pursuing writing. Um, And in 2004, she was getting her degree in medicine from USC. But she officially retired from acting in 2006. But before retiring... She went on to act in two more motocross movies, which in my research for this, I couldn't find anything about if she actually learned how to ride dirt bikes for motocross. I assumed everyone was a stunt double. But before she retired from acting, she went on to be in the movie Supercross, which also stars Aaron Carter, um, and another movie that had a monkey in it called <laughs> Motocross Kids. Oh, that's where you went wrong, Sari. Do- you picked dogs. You should have gone monkeys. Yeah, something that could yeah. grip the handlebars. I, I really messed up. <laughs> yeah, you got to think about those thumbs when you're thinking about animals riding dirt bikes. Uh, oh, yeah. And I also forgot to mention this with uh, Michael Cuneo, who played Rene Cartier. Uh, the last acting gig he did before he like went full-time singer was in the movie Cradle to the Grave where he also played a motocross rider. Wow. So hmm. again, couldn't find much information on if these people did their own riding in any of this movie, but multiple people from this movie went on to do other dirt bike roles. And Alana Austin specifically, there was a rumored uh, people in some articles were referring to it as a follow-up to motocross, but it didn't seem to have any connection to Disney at all. So I'm not really sure the validity validity of that. But it was called Monster Jam the Movie, which Monster Jam is monster trucks. So it was like in the same vein as this like dirt bike popularity that was happening. And she was going to be a monster truck driver, I guess, in that. But that just never came to be. Didn't uh, didn't seem to ever make it out of the filming process. But yeah, then we have Riley Smith, who plays Dean Talon, the crush in this, which Dean Talon is. What a name. What a name. it's, It's quite the name. He apparently was 23 
when he acted in this movie. And to be fair, uh, Alana Austin was 19 when she's supposed to be playing a 15-year-old. So it wasn't as creepy as it seems when you find out he's 23. And he has continued acting. He went on to be in 24. He's also in Eight-Legged Freaks. Uh, He went on to be in True Blood, Nashville, and is currently in the CW's Nancy Drew series. And he also seems to be making some uh, pop rock music. I don't entirely know how to describe it. I sent you guys the music video before we... uh, we started recording here and i don't know do you have better words to describe that other than pop rock no i no. <laughs> i was I, i'm like trying to remember the music my ears heard but the specific music video that you sent us like i was distracted by the content yes. of the video like what it was actually doing so uh, my brain is like i know we heard the notes and the sounds but it was our eyes that were being like, (laughs) (laughs) we're really engaged there. Um. (laughs) That's fair. So yes, dad pop rock maybe is the best way Mm -hmm. to describe that music. And last, but I'm going to say not least, even though at first it might seem like it, we have AJ Buckley who played Jimmy Bottles in this movie. (laughs) The, the store owner, for those who are not remembering the name Jimmy Bottles. But he is. That, I remembered the, it for some reason because he had those big old glasses. <laughs> he was so memorable. Again, the, the thought behind the naming of the characters in this sometimes, I think it was just like, ah, he needs a last name, I uh-huh. guess. Uh, mm, uh, bottles? Uh-huh. He has continued acting quite a bit uh, and doing a lot of voice overwork, but also has recurring roles on CSI and Supernatural and Justified. And. I'm going to say he's my favorite glow up out of all of these. Uh, I'm going to send you, obviously, we'll have to include these uh, images with the the podcast notes. But he's on a show called Seal Team now. Oh, wow. Where he plays a Seal Team member. And yeah, he's ridiculously ripped. And if you could like put his picture next to Jimmy Bottle's picture, yes. no one would ever guess they were the same man. Absolutely. Like right. now... Uh, you know, I'm looking at this picture you just sent where he is incredibly ripped and the the image of Jimmy Bottles that I previously had in my brain is gone. Like uh-huh. it can't hold yeah. both of them at the <laughs> yeah. same time. But yeah, it, it's he seems to be proud at least of his motocross past. He uh, recently posted a clip uh, about like five days ago on his Instagram of one of his scenes from the shop. And well, I, I say proud, but his caption was like, what was I thinking? <laughs> but he's not completely hiding from it, but I think he's maybe looking back on his performance as a choice. He really went all in to like confused nerd, which I don't know, worked well. Yes. Uh, and the last bit, because there's still more oh to gosh. talk about with AJ Buckley, is he owns a, a company called Paperclip that sells like super nice recycled diaper bags. Like from recycled bottles and stuff. Uh, you can look these up at like paperclip.life.com, I think. That sentence was wild. I never would, every word that came next was a twist. <laughs> what? I just, how? I, I, how did this end up being, like, how did he decide this is a thing he was going to do? Yeah, it seems like he co founded this company with like a friend, another dad of 
like friend of his uh and they make really nice looking diaper bags that some of them convert into like mobile changing stations as well yeah i don't have a kid but like when i do these are like i don't know they're very nice looking none of us have children but please sponsor us in case any of us do yeah so that we can have a diaper bag ready we're talking about kids movies from 20 years ago our audience has to have kids so yeah for sure Help! Uh, we can help you reach that audience. Um, pa- paperclip is that the whatever? The, yeah. yeah. This yes, this is the crossover that they need. Decom yeah. person starting a decom decom podcast audience that m- probably some of them have kids. Mm-hmm. I, that's a match made in heaven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think they they really their marketing department needs to get on this. Yeah, and if I eventually like have a kid and get a free diaper bag, like that's a good side effect of this sponsorship. So, yeah, that's what uh, the cast, mostly AJ Buckley, is up to these days. All right, nostalgia check. Do you remember watching Motocrossed before you had to watch it for this podcast? Vaguely, I think, but not clearly not as many times as I watched like Johnny Tsunami and Xenon because I didn't really remember the plot points, but it seemed familiar. Yeah, definitely as many times as I watched Johnny Tsunami and Xenon. <laughs> this was up there for me. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is this is in the the section of just like deep nostalgia, uh, <laughs> deep nostalgia movies for me that I, I I feel I feel very attached to. Um, and as you probably guessed from my guess last week or last <laughs> last episode, not at all. <laughs> Kept waiting for those dogs and they never showed up. Mm-hmm. I got the dad. <laughs> A little bit of uh-huh. the dad being into motocross, but then that is literally all I got. No, you're yes. the ending. Your ending. Um, they all come. They all come together as a family. Mm, yeah. Yes, true. Yeah. Also, I forgot about that. Uh huh. Uh huh. Which yes, always, always great. Great. Always a great, great one to throw in there when you're yep. <laughs> guessing the plot for a decom. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty safe bet for de- decoms that the family is probably going to come together in the end. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you like this movie? I guess I sort of answered that by acknowledging that it is like deep nostalgia for me. <laughs> um, yeah, like, I, I don't know. I, I could have said that it doesn't hold up. But um, uh, yeah, I yes, <laughs> I loved this movie as a kid. And I still had a really fun time in spite of the bad dad. I wasn't sure for the first like 15 minutes. I was mad. And I was like, I don't know if and maybe I don't remember this movie as well as I thought I did, and I don't really like this movie. But then he goes away. Um, then he comes back, <laughs> and I wasn't happy. But um, like, even when he comes back, he's like removed enough from it, and um, like, yeah, I, he is he is absent enough <laughs> that I had a lo- mostly fun time. But I was it was I was worried. I was worried in the beginning of this movie. It is nice that they just kind of like keep going regardless of their father's feelings. Like you can acknowledge as a like person watching the movie, like, oh, this dad sucks and he wants everyone to not do the things that everyone else wants them to do. And he doesn't really get in the way of that for an extended period of time. So I think that's probably why he sucks. He still very much sucks, but it's less frustrating because he's not in the way. I mean, they literally, they literally remove him from the continent, which is yeah. just, yeah, like that's, that's correct. That's what I would like, the, uh, uh, that's what I would like to do with all of the, the bad dads in media. I mean, separately, I kind of want to like start to put together a list of like the shitty parents of DCOMs. Um, mm-hmm. but that's, that's for another time. <laughs> yeah. I, I really enjoyed 
the movie overall. And I was afraid that we were going to have another like Johnny Tsunami situation where the bad dad kind of dragged down a lot of the movie. But yeah, removing him from the continent helps quite a bit. Um, and the mom is great. So she like she lifts up the the parent roles in this uh, a lot. And yeah, I overall enjoyed it. I think for me, I think we all kind of put it looking at our ranking sheet around the same level. And for me, that's at least it doesn't break into that top eight, top seven, whatever, because I just was waiting for something like slightly deeper to happen. And not that it needed it, but I think that's just what like kind of like brings movies into that top tier for me is like having that extra level of heart or something to it. And I, I really enjoyed it. There's nothing I dislike about it, but it just didn't have that extra little oomph. For me, the thing that kept it high but but lower than than my favorite movies was Bad Dad. Mm-hmm. Like entirely, yes. he ruined my experience of the movie. I had a great time with every other part of it, but the fact that he like vaguely had a redemption arc where he came back from Europe and was like, oh, the guy that I did bring was a jerk and I just didn't want you to get hurt, Andy. And and then they were like, yeah, you're fine. And the and the fact that the cool mom kept saying that he was the love of her life. And I was like, but he's such a jerk. Why, why don't you see that? And I'm sure there were redeeming qualities, but we certainly didn't see them. No, no redeeming qualities that were included in this film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why would you why would you have kids with this man? He's so rude and mean. Uh and isn't he wasn't he rude and mean to you at some point saying weird sexist things? I don't know. Seems likely. Seems likely that he would probably yes. tell her that she can't do something uh-huh. because she's a woman. Yeah. Correct. And and so entirely my experience was ruined by bad dad, but I had so much fun with the rest of the movie that that I, I can like kind of erase him, but but not quite. He's still there tainting my experience yes. Yes. Um, with the movie. This is really interesting because so this is also like a top 10 movie of what we've watched so far for me. But and it's so easy to compare it to Johnny Tsunami because it, it's like another sports movie uh, with a bad dad who's like, no, don't. Um, but Johnny Tsunami is like top five for me where motocross is not. But the dad in Johnny Tsunami is worse, I think. (laughs) I think he is actually worse or like he's more present in the movie. I think the reason that it's more annoying here is that Johnny Tsunami's whole like the dad's whole thing was like, I want you to get a job and an education. You can't just be, you know, beach bum, which felt a little bit more, I guess, understandable than just like misogyny. There was no rhyme or reason to why... Like, effectively, this bad dad must have taught his daughter how to ride a bike at some point. (laughs) He was, like, okay with this happening in his backyard. Your whole, like, your whole house is a track, sir. You have Carson Racing. So, and then at some point, you were, what, like, puberty? You were like, oh, well, now you're a girl. Like, no more bikes (laughs) for you. Um, So, I just couldn't get over that piece of it. And, uh, yes, it, it... dampen the experience enough that it is not like top five but the rest of the movie is fun enough that it is top 10 yeah i actually think this dad is worse for all of the reasons that you just said this is a worse dad the problem that i had with johnny tsunami is that the arc is it's the dad the emotion like the the, the dad is the one like johnny tsunami is a perfect child and i don't mean that in like a i don't know like mary sue like oh like i mean like as an adult i look at this child and i say wow you are a perfect child and like the journey is the dad having to learn that he has a perfect child like i just like that was the thing 
that I found just like maddening when I was watching, like as an adult trying to watch Johnny Tsunami. Um, this dad is like a piece of shit, but because they remove him from the movie so much, it was easier for me to enjoy the parts of the movie that he wasn't part of. Andrea has her, has like a, a real character journey too of like, you know, like she has to learn to do better at this thing and she has to learn to believe in herself and like she, whatever, that is not, the emotional arc isn't just the shitty dads. In fact, the shitty dad's emotional arc at the end is like kind of dumb and like not really, <laughs> not really the point. But like, absolutely, it is not surprising to me that this bad dad would ruin anyone's experience because he's 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 a piece of shit he sucks he's he's the fucking worst <laughs> yeah i i i felt like the same like with johnny tsunami i think there's also the level of the dad's relationship with his dad and johnny's relationship with his grandfather sort of like added that extra level of relationship building to this whereas i feel like the dad in this movie is not going to stop being shitty yeah as a human after this movie. Like, I feel right. like he's still probably going to be just as bad to his wife or to any other woman in his life. And r as Mari mentioned in the plot synopsis, like it literally took a, a guy shoving his daughter mm -hmm. for him to go, wait a minute, <laughs> someone should treat her better. <laughs> and it's like, it's not, it's not that he's had an emotional like moment with, with her and like listened to her wants and needs and decided you know what I clearly am in the wrong here and you are right I shouldn't have stopped you from racing it's just because she gets shoved yeah and that that is part of the reason that I think that the emotional like arc and journey in Johnny Tsunami is superior because there is a moment of reckoning he's like that that dad was like oh I am shitty and there was an actual change where here like yeah. not only did you expose me to this crappy father at the end i just have to keep going on my way thinking he's still a crappy father because nothing nothing has changed like materially so mm -hmm. it just felt like kind of i don't know not enjoyable and there was something deeper at least that i felt in johnny tsunami that spoke to like the immigrant experience where it's like and and just like generational behaviors where it's like oh yeah your dad is this like fast uh, surfer dude and then you're like serious businessman because you rebel against your parent or you like feel this pressure to succeed and so you want the best for your children too like that that feels that resonates very much with me as like having an asian parent and and like being told that that I should succeed. But this this guy was just a jerk. This is someone who I'd talk to my therapist about for the rest of my life. It's like, my dad was a sexist <laughs> asshole. And I don't know where he learned it from. Just like being a dumb white man. <laughs> so there's no, there's no like deeper connection there. It's just like, oh, he, this is an asshole person uh, who didn't learn and needs to die and get out of the world <laughs> okay. because it wasn't even like uh, like uh, just the racing where he was like no you can't race like the first scene we see is her so excited she went first place at this competition out of a hundred schools and she runs over and he's like mm -mm. They're like go away you're distracting and nobody cares <laughs> and i was like what is happening here and then at the scene where he shows up at the racing like after she won third place it was so almost like ominous the way that they were like scared oh, yeah. of yes. him being there i was like is yeah. he gonna hit them is he gonna trap them in the basement like i was literally uncomfortable and like like worried about their safety with the way she's like trying to control her sobbing and he's just like menacing around the corners of their like van or whatever i don't know it was so weird yes it was a very weird like d 
doom like there was like his face in profile came into focus and like the music hit and they immediately look scared and you're yeah you have that feeling of like what's gonna happen yeah and and just like his judgment call to bring back this like clearly asshole racer from europe like he he went he was there for quite a while like several weeks on a separate continent and that he like <laughs> this this kid has a reputation that other kids could google uh and find immediately and that he was like oh this guy is like horrible to work with but he'll be a better racer and saying like come back to america my children will do the labor for you and you can have my daughter's bedroom in what world is that decision making process sound it's like i would rather have an asshole racing with us than and anything then i will fly him back from europe to do this it just doesn't make any any sort of logical sense to me it's like your judge of character is way way wrong my dude it's it's not even like the injustice that moment of like hurt him allowing this man to take his daughter's bedroom but the skeeviness of it of like you're just letting a man into your daughter's space like i don't know unsupervised and what we see him doing is like oogling her cheerleading magazines uh, at that moment I, I the skeeviness of it all i just i ooh, ugh, i still feel it and she even like immediately goes to her dad saying like hey this isn't cool i don't want this guy in my bedroom and he's like eh, he's a guest he can stay where he wants and it's just that repeatedly like the dad refusing to listen uh to his daughter in any sort of way because it's not like she's not having these conversations with her dad it's that she's trying to have the conversations and he's just fully focused on girls can't race i need to win race Mm -hmm. there was a ton about this movie that i enjoyed right (laughs) we all put this movie in the top 10 so yeah (laughs) Uh... i think that's because of all like every other character is delightful like If you, you ignore the, the 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 rude French guy and you ignore the dad and everybody else has nice like character beats. They're funny. Mm-hmm. They have a nice little journey. Like even if they're dull, they're at least having a good time and not being horrible. Her brothers are. I love the sibling relationships in this too. Like like there are elements of you know she's like annoyed with her little brother and truly. The mom broke you by looking at you. Like classic youngest sibling bullshit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you you made no effort, sir. <laughs> um, but like, you know, it's so like they they there is, you know, hints of like sibling bickering and stuff. But like generally they they get along really well and they clearly like really care about each other. When Andy first gets to her her very first race um, and she has like her trying to imitate her twin brother just i don't know i i found that very delightful uh in in the context of the the larger sibling relationship and i i appreciated the way that her brothers even more than the mom who who like is also great and like does a lot to to support her but it's her brothers who are the ones who are like actively um advocating for her with i don't know i i I appreciated the sibling relationships yeah they're fully on board like from the get-go to support her in this idea and obviously they are both happy to have her racing whether it's like privately at home or standing in for her brother and it's nice that i think in a lot of decoms you get sort of the the star 
of the film working against everybody else who either doesn't believe them or doesn't want them to succeed. Whereas in this, it was like everyone against the dad, essentially. (laughs) Um, And so it was nice to have, again, ship the dad off to a different continent and have this nice, (laughs) lovely family all working together for the same goal. And I thought the like the sibling relationships were were genuinely very funny too. Like mm-hmm. when Andy disguises herself as Andrew for the first time and goes into the gear shop and and like they do all this like twin doppelganger stuff. It like I genuinely laughed and I thought the <laughs> discovery of her brothers like that is how they discover that she cut her hair and is like trying to do this ruse and they just nodded and were like cool we'll keep your secret. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's like peak sibling relationship. Like you're doing something absolutely bonkers, but we won't tell mom. You go. Like get those boots and go. <laughs> but he he did he made fun of her hair first and then Yeah. yeah. <laughs> To be clear, Um, which also, yes, yes, correct, 100%. Yeah, that is, I I feel like as a kid, that is how my older brother would have reacted as well. (laughs) I I would have been teased mercilessly, but like also, yeah, I'll help you do this ridiculous thing that you want to do. It was definitely that sort of, you can't make fun of them, but I can make fun of them. Like, this is my sister. I can pick on her. But if anyone else is coming for my sister, no. (laughs) I think they also did a good job balancing just, like, her character and and showing us, like, you know, she she likes cheerleading, but also bikes. And she's going to paint her nails and pose as this boy. And, uh, like, the the scenes that I thought were really funny were just, like, her very, like, teen girl scenes. So she squeals over her in-sync tickets and everybody comes running and they're, like, worried and she doesn't even, like, bat an eyelash. She's like what no my tickets are here yay and she just keeps going uh, which i was like ah yes and then the scene where she's like trying to hook up uh dean with fallon and he comes down with like the black turtleneck and he's talking like yeah man i feel like nsync has a couple good songs i was like dying (laughs) on the floor i was like this is hilarious um so it had a lot of moments like that that were just entertaining i think andy is like was a good character to anchor the film overall so it balanced uh you know bad dad because everybody else was a plus and i was generally rooting for everyone like i was rooting for andy the whole time throughout her whole like her dilemma about whether to set up her crush with this other girl because she was pretending to be a boy and he is presumably straight question mark question mark question mark uh (laughs) never would happen um but 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 yeah, like her her dilemma with that and like being a teenage girl or him pulling off his shirt and jumping into the water and her being like, oh, I have a skin condition. <laughs> like the most like, classic movie excuse. And I was genuinely rooting for their romance. I thought it was cute. They're both teenagers. They both like motocross. Cool. And, and they seem to be surprisingly mature for their age in the way that she was like, you know, you have nothing in common with this other girl, right? Like, it, she's she's just not right for you, dude. Uh, and he's like, but she's hot. <laughs> Which is like the epitome of teenager uh, r- rationale for why you would like someone. And so, like, I wanted I wanted both of them to do well in their, their motocross careers. And I felt the tension when they were, like, racing against each other. And I really liked how, how supportive they were of each other when they won. Like, there wasn't any... And the way that they showed other racers being like kind of rude to her when she showed up with long hair there wasn't any of that animosity and it presented the sport as like a really wholesome place besides being kind of a boys club and i like that a lot because it was like a a sports movie you could root for rather than 
feeling like the entire motocross sport was broken in some way. It did. Uh, yeah, even the characters you think might be bad. Like, initially, like, the the crush guy, like, you're waiting for him to do something super shitty. And he just doesn't. Like, it's kind of uh, refreshing. Right. He's, like, he's he's justifiably hurt. Like, that, you know, he's like, oh, okay, you lied to me. And, like, he, like, has has a moment where he, like, has his feelings about it. But then, like, that's it. Then, like, the next scene, he's like, okay, we're, like, I get it. Like, we're... <laughs> I get it, and I like yeah. you, and, and it's fine. Even as abrupt as it was, uh, like, coming out of nowhere, both in Mari's plot summary and the movie, having the the judge of the competition or the, the <laughs> vice president of the company be a woman and come in and just be like, the whole family's getting sponsorships also just made me feel really light and fun. Like, what a fun ending to a movie is that the, like, kind of cast as the villain other company owner like the other motor motorbike owner um i'm using all the wrong words but that's okay because (laughs) this was just a fun romp like it was like she can't win this because she's a girl and didn't register and then the the person with the money to award comes in it's like they all get sponsorships and it was just like a very like a a nice fantasy to to get lost in like i would have enjoyed that as a kid and been like wow girls can do anything in in like Mm -hmm. a really wholesome way Mm -hmm. uh in in the way that like maybe that wouldn't happen in real life but for the sake of this movie andy wins and i'm so happy for her and like she saves her family by being true to herself and that is the message that i want to come away with from from watching this this fun romp of a decom Inspired by Andrew's inability to race due to his injury, (laughs) today we are talking about times that we have been sidelined by injuries. I am, like, so fascinated to hear what you guys have to say. Like, cannot, cannot predict. Usually I feel like I have some sort of sense of, you know, like I've heard... We are all friends, so I know some of your, you know, stories about being a kid or whatever, but I... This could go anywhere. <laughs> I think so. I am not knocking on wood because I'm recording right now, but like knock on wood. I have not like I've never had stitches. I've never broken a bone. I've never been hospitalized. So I I don't have a very good story about a time that I was sidelined with an injury. The only injury that I can remember like really interrupting my life. So this was uh, my stories about being sidelined in life is when I <laughs> twisted my ankle, like I sprained my ankle bad enough that I had to have it like wrapped and I couldn't walk normally. But I got this injury because I was dancing around my living room while home alone. So I was like having a solo dance party. It was probably in my like t- as a tween, uh, rolled my ankle, sprained it, and then had to explain to people that I got this injury at a solo dance party in my living room, <laughs> um, uh, which is not like, you know, my my shiny and brightest moment. But that's the only time that I can really remember having an injury that like took me out of anything. Okay, this is not my answer. But I also some of the first time I ever got stitches, I was I mean, I was very young. I was four. But I was I got stitches basically because I was spinning too much. Like I was twirling. So like relatable. Like I, I was at my my aunt and uncle's house and like in their they had a fireplace in their kitchen. And like the you know, it was like 
tile floors. And I was standing up on the edge, like the corner of the fireplace with my hand, like my hand up above my head, you know, because I'm small um, on the like the mantle over the fireplace. And I was like twirling, like using that to like twirl myself around in circles. And then I just like fell and uh, from an elevated, elevated position and like just completely uh, belly flopped onto the floor and I had to get stitches on my chin. Um, but I was four, so I don't really know like how much this sidelined me from my life of being a four-year-old. No, no real, no real recollection of what that was like. The like affecting my life injury is I've broken bones <laughs> once in my life. Uh, and when I was, mm, I don't know, 24, 25, mid twenties, uh, before I moved to Missoula in St. Louis, there is this thing called the city museum. I love it. If you're ever in St. Louis, you should go. It's a building in the middle of the city that has multiple levels of like, I don't know. It's like an adult jungle gym. There's all these like things that you can climb through and climb on and they're all made out of like found objects. Uh, it's very silly and very cool. But they also have uh, in one section of the city museum, a skateless skate park. And I was goofing off with my uh, younger siblings. And I like, I don't know, like the biggest um I was like running down a ramp from very high, but it was like too vertical. I don't know. It, like I was not the, the 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 place that I was starting my running from was not ideal, uh, and so I like tripped and fell from very high up, um, and used my arm like I like put my arm out, you know, instinctively to stop myself from uh, hurting myself worse, which probably, yes, like would have been much, much worse if I hadn't broken my arm. Um, but yeah, so then I uh, had a, a broken arm for who knows how long. It was my right arm too. So I'm right-handed. It was not not a great time and a pretty embarrassing reason to have broken my arm. <laughs> I also broke my arm, but just at a younger age. Uh, it was in first grade. So I think I was... I'm 1984. I should have done this math while you were telling your story. Uh, I was seven. At the time, I was into gymnastics like quite a bit. My dad signed me up when I was like as soon as we moved to to Kirkland, Washington. So uh, probably I was five and a half or six. So I was one of those like little, little tots in a gymnastics class and still like very bendy, very strong, didn't have much body mass. So I could like flip around pretty easily. And me being a dummy uh, was like, I'm going to do gymnastics on the playground too, because I love it. I love flipping around and being cool. Um, and so I was trying to do something on not monkey bars, but like rings that were free floating. Some some trick that I, I thought I could be cool and just like show off in front of my friends when I fell and fell onto my left arm and broke it. And the story is notable for two reasons. One, because the school nurse didn't believe me that I had something wrong with my arm. Uh, I went, I was like crying and went into the school nurse's office. And I assume that she just like sees a lot of crying children. But still, that's no excuse. I was like something, I like, I can't move my arm. And she told me I was overreacting and gave me an ice pack and told me to go back to class. And then my dad, when he picked me up after school, he was like, something's wrong. <laughs> you never cry like this. And immediately brought me to the hospital and was like, your arm's broken. So that was rude of that school nurse. And 
<laughs> it didn't really – I guess it interrupted my life because I couldn't go back to gymnastics class. And that was, like, not quite the beginning of the end, but I stopped doing gymnastics in around third grade. Uh, I was I was quite good, and I think the coaches there wanted me to keep doing it and, like, join a team. And so I don't know how good I could have been, but I, w- I was good for my age and flexible and strong. Um, and so that, that little hiccup took away some of my training time. So who knows? There's an alternate universe version of me that's, who's a gymnast who maybe didn't break her arm and was gold a little bit brave. medalist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I'm still friends with gold medalist Sari Riley in this alternate I universe. I hope so too. I hope she's cool, not like a, a sports jerk, but I feel like she'd still be pretty much a nerd. Oh, I'm trying to imagine Jock Sari <laughs> now. Oh, wow. it's, it's breaking my brain uh-huh. a little bit. But yeah, so I, I won't say that my broken arm led to my quitting gymnastics, but mostly it hindered my ability to feel normal and blend in in class where I always felt like I was trying to make myself small because I was really shy. Uh, and as soon as I came back in with on my arm in a sling, everyone crowded around me because like, you're in first grade, something weird has happened. Uh, <laughs> and I remember being extremely embarrassed and flustered when I couldn't do things quite right with just one hand. Like I could write with my right hand, thankfully. But uh, like, I couldn't open my lunchbox very good uh, and and things like that. And people kept offering to help me. And I was like, no, just just ignore me <laughs> like you usually do. Uh, I'm embarrassed. So it it messed with my my small life. But I haven't broken a bone since then. So I, I realized this kind of ties into this. This was not the injury that I, I brought to talk about. And it's not even really an injury. It's a time I fell down. Um, <laughs> but it ties into the movie well because I... So my family's weird. I have a nephew who's like a year and a half younger than me, but he's always been like taller than me and bigger than me. So when we were growing up, like, I don't know, we were like 12, 13. He was into BMX dirt bike racing, like not the motor stuff, just like the pedal bikes uh, dirt bike racing. And was wearing a lot of the same gear and during the, the, the same dirt jumps and stuff that you see in motocross. But there was one time he was at a thing and I was wanting to try it out. And so, like, it was just this thing of, like, I had never done any sort of, like, bike racing of any type on any sort of dirt track with any sort of jumps. But they were like, yeah, sure, you go try it out. <laughs> and similar to how Andy has the issue of the boots not fitting and that causing her to mess up my nephew's head was bigger than mine. And so I put his helmet on to go race and immediately going over like, the first jump, the helmet turns and I can't see very well. <laughs> and then I just kind of like drifted off the track and fell over. Oh no. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did not get hurt, but that I just, in hearing your stories reminded me of that time that I kind of did the, the weakest version of, of motocross. <laughs> <laughs> but my actual injury that actually did sideline me for a while was when I was, I think, 10, 11, 12, somewhere in that range. I played football as a child and tore the cartilage in my left knee, like clear off the bone pretty much. Ooh. Yeah. And then uh, so I had this like mid-season injury and then continued to play for the rest of the season because I was a tough little boy and couldn't say I had an injury. <laughs> so then after the season ended, the knee was still bugging me, went to the doctor, found out what the extent of the injury was. And they were like, oh, you need surgery. <laughs> like you need, we need to go in and reattach this and fix this so that you can walk without pain. 
And so had that, went in uh, after the surgery, wake up, I was in a full leg cast from like groin to toe. <laughs> and the, this was a surprise to me because I was told I was going to have a knee brace that I was going to have to wear for a while, not a full leg cast. <laughs> and it turned out the doctors just decided, you're like, yeah, you know what? He's a young, rambunctious kid. We, he's probably not going to like stay still he's gonna move around a lot so let's put him in a cast so he can't move around a lot (laughs) so i was in this full leg cast for a long time i don't remember exactly how long because as a kid it was either like five years or a month um (laughs) but i think it was around six to eight weeks i was in this full leg cast um and of course it hit like right at the end of the school year around the summertime so i like spent my summer in this full leg cast on crutches not being able to do anything fun it's my only big sports injury of my life uh, and didn't stop me from playing sports. I went back and continued to play sports throughout high school and stuff, but it still, uh, it still bugs me from time to time. And still, as if I'm, if I go running for too long or anything, like my knee starts to hurt a little bit and I'm like, ah, yeah, that old football injury. Yeah, sports injury, <laughs> you know, just yeah. acting up again. <laughs> yeah, it's that thing like when I'm uh, when I'm an old man and my kids or grandkids ask about like, oh, grandpa, why do you have a hurt knee? I'm like, oh, oh, football injury. <laughs> and then I like, tell them that I was like, I was like a 10 year old <laughs> playing football. It was not that intense. And now it is time to discuss the lessons that we learned while watching motocross, I learned that it literally doesn't matter if boys get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Only if girls get hurt. They shouldn't get hurt. Boys, doesn't matter. <laughs> I learned that as long as you're a quick enough mechanic, child labor laws seem to go out the window. <laughs> I learned that you should just cut your hair off. It's mm-hmm. going to be fine. And you're going to look cool and you're going to be really cool. So stop worrying about it. <laughs> I learned that in 2001, the only way to reach somebody that was far away from you was Telegram or FedEx. <laughs> 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 and now to close out this episode, it is time for Sari to guess the plot of the next movie. Next time on Cooler Than Homework, we are watching The Luck of the Irish. Well, well, well. Uh, <laughs> this timely St. Patrick's Day episode we're going to be recording. Yeah. Yeah, the slightly after St. Patrick's Day. Um, I'm feeling a little like the sting of getting dogs on bikes so wrong, but I I feel like I'm going to go we've we've had a couple like normal ones. No, we'd Xenon was not normal. Oh, shoot. Okay, we've had a normal one normal one. I'm going to say <laughs> It's too boring if I guess like a normal, like an Irish family uh, does something. So I'm going to say that this has to do with real leprechaun. Uh, A real leprechaun, what do leprechauns do? Uh, (laughs) Is, has like transcended from the supernatural. Like there's, there's the realm where the holiday animals live, like the Easter bunny, the, (laughs) the St. Patrick's Day leprechaun, Santa Claus, et cetera. And the leprechaun has somehow stumbled through a portal into our world because someone stole his gold. Um, (laughs) And he's just this gruff, small man and stumbles upon a small boy named Stuart. Um, And Stuart's just your average just turned 13 oh okay so Stuart loves rocks 
Um, he's, <laughs> <laughs> he loves collecting rocks. And when when walking through the woods one day, he found a piece of this leprechaun's gold and like found the whole hoard of it. That's at the end of the rainbow, et cetera. Um, and he, he took one home with him. And so the leprechaun, Larry, Larry the leprechaun, uh, has come to this world seeking for his gold, found most of it, but then is missing a piece. And that won't do. And so he is tracking down Stuart back to his home where he has the gold hidden in a little, um, little compartment with the rest of his rock collection. And of course, to figure out how this movie ends, I need the tagline. <laughs> um, well, uh, <laughs> the tagline for this movie is Kid Today, Leprechaun Tomorrow. Oh, hmm. Okay, well, I can work with this. So Stuart, <laughs> as punishment for stealing the leprechaun gold and because um, Larry has some leprechaun laws that he can't break, like he can't harm children um, because they're this... They're, their belief fuels the magical realm. And he can't break into houses because of some weird vampire law that actually applies to leprechauns. He curses Stuart and turns him into the leprechaun. And <laughs> Stuart grows a beard, which makes him very out of place as a teenager at his high school. Um, and he start speaking in a very bad Irish accent just because I want to see what a kid does with speaking with an Irish accent. <laughs> oh, I can't. He like tries to hide it from his parents in, in comical ways and then eventually meets Larry face to face and, and talks with him and they have a heart to heart and magic is real and Stuart's like, fix me. And Larry's like, give me back my gold. And Stuart's like, but it was just in the woods like any other rock. Larry has to have some sort of conflict. Larry is suddenly stuck in this earth world and needs Stuart's help to return to the magical dimension. And so then Stuart helps him out as a as a reward. Uh, oh, Stuart helps him out, gets Larry back to the other dimension, but Stuart's still a leprechaun. Whoa, what's wrong? <laughs> uh, and then St. Patrick's Day comes. And he's like, will I be stuck as a leprechaun forever? And then Larry appears with a little wink and and transmutes him back to being a human. And all is well with the world. The end. Wow. Wonderful. You took us on such a journey. That was <laughs> yes. That was incredible. I, 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 do... I think you got like one thing right. <laughs> is there a leprechaun? Y yeah. So here's the thing. This is we've been teasing for a while now that um, how however long ago Matt rattled off a list of titles of Bailey's kids books. And one of them oh. is this movie. Um, and it is Leprechauns Don't Play Basketball. Um, <laughs> but surprise, they do in Luck of the Irish. Uh, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, th there's more, there's more to it. There's more going on here, but I just, I, I, I will leave you with, this is the, this is the one that we were, that we were connecting between um, the, the Bailey's kids books and DCOM universes by the title Leprechauns Don't Play Basketball. I would have never guessed it. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe, maybe if we recorded this immediately after uh -huh. that other episode, or like two weeks after, but but no. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, I, I never expected you to guess the plot of Luck of the Irish until Matt 
said that and I was like, I don't know if we keep teasing, like nudging her about these Bailey's Kids books, <laughs> she'll get there. But uh, yeah, truly, truly, there the odds that you were going to guess the plot of this movie were uh, pretty minimal. But you can find out next time uh, what it really is, because Leprechauns Don't Play Basketball isn't actually a plot. So find out next time what the actual <laughs> plot is. We would love to hear all of your thoughts on this episode and on motocross. There will be a post dedicated to this episode at snarksquad.com slash decom. I will also put our ranking sheet up there and the photos of uh, the actor whose name I've already forgotten. Or you can find us on Twitter at Decom Squad. I am at Sweeney Says. I am at Matthew Gatos. You can find me at My Name is Marines. And I'm at C.E. Riley. This podcast is a Star Squad production edited by me, transcribed by Mario, and our theme music is by Stefan Chin. Mm-hmm.